Welcome to Brain and Gain, the game where we use our brains to get better gains, and hopefully get some brain gains along the way. I am Andy Squatsby, Hodby, from Squatsby Strength, and I'm a powerlifter and evidence-based strength and nutrition coach. Today playing the game is Charlie Beastone. We start with character creation and find out everything that made Charlie the character that he is today. Then the tutorial level where we learn some useful things, followed by the boss battle where we defeat our biggest challenges and much more. This is a real open world adventure, this one, talking about all sorts of philosophy, psychology and a lot of practical nutrition coaching techniques as well. Enjoy the game. Charlie, starting with character creation, what do you do to end up as the character that you are today? What's your story? Brilliant. So, um, as a kid, I started off as a kid because that is where I started. I played a lot of sport um, and I was all right, but I wasn't that good. So I was like, I would like to work in sport. Um, at first, I thought it was going to be a physio because that was like the only job when you're at school that's to do with sport where you could work in sport. Um, and then I didn't really work at my GCSEs and then my A-levels and it quickly became apparent that I wasn't going to be a physiotherapist because I did not have the grades you need. Um, but then I heard about sports science, so I did a sports science degree. And then during the second year of that, I did a nutrition module, which was interesting because S&C coaches were all just like knuckle draggers, all based in Neanderthals. So I was like, I don't want to do that either. I did have a little, I did about a year of like work experience part-time as an S&C and I was like, nah. Um, so then I was like, oh yeah, nutrition, I quite like that. So I got a master's in sports nutrition from Loughborough University. Um, interned as a nutritionist with all of their sports teams, um, which is quite cool because obviously they're all university athletes and I'm now seeing some of those people I work with represent our country in various sports, which is quite nice. Damn. Um was high-end as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, the sport, like the, the students are, on my course, you'd think like, oh, it's the creme de la creme in our industry. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, but obviously I am, but the rest of them weren't. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, so I interned there. And then about a year and a half after I finished, or about a year after I finished, I got a job at Harper University, which is near Gloucester. Um, and they're basically all they do is sport, really. And I was the nutritionist there for two and a half years. There was 410 athletes, roughly, across loads of different sports. Was a nutritionist there and then was working on my own shit alongside that. And my own shit is what I do today, really. So I self employed as a nutritionist, mm -hmm. working one to one with people. And I also have a separate corporate wellness business where we do the business side of it, some one to one like executive coaching and a lot of workshop type stuff and groups. Yeah. So that's a really long version of how I got here. Cool. Is that, um, was it? Koru or something? Koru. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, that. it's a Maui Maui word. Oh, is it really? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, for like new new starts, new beginning, but also like for things that have two elements to it. And we're quite keen on like the wellness side of it, but also on like cognitive performance because mm. Owen, who I work on that with, is an S&C coach, but he's less of a knuckle dragon than others. Um, <laughs> so we both like have a performance background. He used to work at Mercedes F1. So like, we like the cognitive performance side of it, but also the wellness stuff is what a lot of people want. So we wanted to sort of represent the fact that there were two sides to the business. Cool, cool. What's your sport, mate? Cricket. Cricket? 
Yeah, proper exciting one. I know everyone goes mental for that. I normally drop that in the first date early on. Like, by the way, <laughs> I play village, play village cricket, and that's generally that seals the deal then quite early on. Um, I thought you were say I thought you were going to say that's like a filter. You know, you got to start as you mean to go on. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't want to get serious, and then they realise that you leave them all weekends. To yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I don't drop it in until they're already yeah. way too deep. And I, I, by the way, love, I'm out all day. Um, if you come and watch, there is some tea halfway through. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Um, it was football as a kid. So it used to be football and rugby in the winter, cricket in the summer. And then I was quite lazy and a bit tubby as a child. So I was great at football. I used to play up front, scored 20 odd goals a year. And then they brought in the offside ball around about the age of 11 or 12. And you have to keep up with everyone else. And I was like, nah, bollocks to this. <laughs> Standing next to the goal, and I would score. But yeah, running around now, right things. Mm. So, cricket, you don't have to do that. Just mm. stand there. That's my sporting trick. But if I can get away with it, played mm. hockey this morning, and that was I was uh, I was goaltending for sure. Hockey, see, cheeky shots. Hockey's like cricket, and it's a lot more brutal than people think. Mm. Like you do sound like you're almost reluctant to tell people they're your sports, but like. Yeah, chance of getting hit in the face and it hurting are much higher in those sports yeah. than other sports. Someone always gets injured playing hockey. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I've seen a lot of teeth and things go yeah. in my time and noses. Broken pretty much all my fingers. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's Savage. hard ball. What well, would you say, yeah. mate? What would you say is the most useful bit of education that you've done? Because obviously you've done various different like subjects and Ooh. degrees and courses and things. That's a great question. Yeah, thank you. I, well, I never get asked that because people just assume that degrees are useful and therefore you've done two, so they must be the most useful, which I presume is why you asked. What's your What's your education background? Before you I start? did not have a degree. I, I no. stopped after A-levels. I joined the Air Force at 19. Ah. Um, so I don't have any of that. I've got level 3 PT, S&C, MNU certified nutrition, and I've done psychology courses Mm. so i did motivation interviewing act fact um all those kind of things i want to do a psychology degree so i'll leave the yeah. next year i'm going to do this full-time not podcasting coaching <laughs> <laughs> one can dream with you, it's full-time <laughs> there's plenty of people doing it so it must yeah, true, work true. yeah coaching full-time so um, i want to do a psychology degree yeah see so if i went back now i'd do a psych degree but so I was always interested in having worked in sport. We'll come back to your question. Sorry, I've sidestepped. No, um, you, you go on whatever tangent you want. But obviously, I used to work in a college and university in sport, and we know that the risk of eating disorders in sport is higher, like percentage-wise, yeah. much higher in sport, particularly oh. in like weight, not weight-making sports necessarily, but sports have an emphasis on leanness as well, so endurance sports. And then they're higher in college and university students, particularly girls. So when you work with teenage girls in sport, prevalence was massive. And I always looked at like, what route could I take to work in that? Because it was really interesting to me. But dietetics is a long route and there's a lot of placements and stuff and it's expensive. Clinical psych is an even longer route to get to that stage. So yeah, I'd love to do psych. And I'm, I remember you posting about your psych courses not that long ago. And I'm really interested in them. Like I love MI stuff. Look, Love the act stuff. Oh, so, so useful. So useful. Mm, yeah, the crossover is huge, isn't it? I don't think people yeah. understand that. Yeah. Um, I don't find, I don't know if you find this, but like the MI stuff 
I don't use as much because if someone's coming to work with you, a lot of that stuff where you're sort of getting them to the point of change, they're already there. That's why they're paying you money. Yeah. Um, There's aspects of it that I pick out. So like mm. in my everyday life and also in, in coaching, I use like the active listening techniques, alls, open mm. questions, affirmations, reflections, summaries, critical mm-hmm. listening. They're like super useful. Um, I like the, the spirit of MI, which is like you're not trying to manipulate people. Um, yeah. What's it called? Universal positive regard. Not universal, something positive regard. Like you yeah, always think the, the best of the person that you're working with mm. and talking to, basically. So you're not going to think, oh, you've done that because you're lazy or, you know, mm. or you just not listening to me like those kind of things. Do you find... a bit, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. They, they're useful later on, actually. If someone's got six, eight weeks of struggling, then I find like the change talks are yes. a lot more useful. Yes. But um, yeah, up front, not as much. I find that a lot of the stuff on those sorts of things sometimes comes as a surprise to people. Like the Universal Regards is a great example where if you coach people, that will tell people that, like, oh, really? That's really interesting. But it always felt quite natural to me that that's what coaching was. Yeah. I remember it took, when we talk about qualifications, actually, one of the least useful, but ones that I had um something called the talented athlete lifestyle scholarship or scheme or something <laughs> so basically performance lifestyle coach is a legit role now in sport particularly in like the english institute of sport for all the olympic sports and the performance lifestyle coach's job is basically helping athletes with everything outside of sport so mm-hmm. depending on what the sport is it could be in careers it could be in um sponsorship it can be in helping them use the other support services like it's a, it's not a very well-defined role, which I quite like because it meant I could do whatever I like um, within my scope of practice. But And on that course, you would have people and they'd be like, oh, actually, if you just listen to an athlete rather than just tell them what to do and shout at them, they get much better. And like there were people scribbling this down. And I was like, fuck me, this is news <laughs> to you. And they're all coaches in there, like skills coaches, a lot of them. They're like, this is unbelievable stuff. I'm like, if I couldn't do this, I wouldn't have a job. Like, this isn't new. Um, so that wasn't in answer to your question what was most useful that was not it um, most useful I don't even think I might even cheat and say none of my qualifications were the most useful thing was <laughs> my internship yeah Experience. which was like se- yeah which was yeah. semi taught in that we'd chat once a week there were six of us um, and the guy in charge who was actually the nutritionist who's worked for like, like the Canadian Olympic team and it worked much higher than me in terms of sport mm. um, and you'd sit and say oh, I spoke to this person this went really well this didn't go well I actually had this question about um, the nutrition side of it and and now can we chat about that and that was the most useful thing alongside the MSC it was good but some of the MSC stuff was what frustrated me with my masters is we got taught in lectures the basics and then they'd be like this is your assignment or your learning go and write an assignment on this and that was the advanced stuff and that never made sense to me it should always be for me like here's the basic stuff you can get out of a textbook go and learn that otherwise you can't come to the lecture and learn this advanced stuff that i'm going to teach you hmm. so yeah as an example we like did the basics of carbohydrate for three lectures and then our essay was on um the use of like carbohydrate periodization so like train low stuff for adaptation yeah. in endurance sports and this was six years ago so this stuff was really quite new still and so finding literature on that was really hard and i was just like why are we not talking about this in a class why are you leaving me to try and guess this on my own so uni was good but there were frustrations with it the cost is 
phenomenal now, isn't it? To the point where a lot of people are thinking, is it worth it? Um, so although my degrees were useful, internship really, because we all, like you know, like coaching is soft skills and my soft skills were dreadful. So, 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 so bad. I was just a really shy student, teenager. It was only at my master's really when I was 21, 22, where I started feeling confident speaking to people I didn't know. But that was through like the first half of that internship. I'd sit in team meetings of sport and just not say a word. You wouldn't know I was there. Uh-huh. Um, I was by far and away out of the six person. and I think they'd all say this, the, the best read in terms of literature. Like, I could name what the study said, who it was by, who they looked at, everything off the top of my head. But put me in front of a group where I got to present all of this in a way they'd understand 30 people. Shocking. So that was the biggest work. And then there's the stuff that you just don't get from uni you get from fucking up in person really so yeah i'd say an internship was the most useful thing for me as a coach yeah, you, and a you, person probably you have to do those things that you? you have to experience mm. you have to practice practice sort of skill like the soft skill mm. if you like so i'm kind of surprised yeah. that you were like shy almost it surprises you know, a lot of people yeah, yeah. yeah. And i think that's just like the impression that you get online and stuff mm. and on the other hand it doesn't surprise me because like, i'm super introverted mm. I love doing this, like talking one-on-one with people, and I'm fine with that. Mm. And also yeah. I'm fine with public speaking. Mm. Probably because I've had a lot of practice of that. I've done I've like taken opportunities to do quite a bit of that. Um so I can see how you're probably similar to me in that way that you that you're naturally quite introverted, but you you enjoy those aspects of it. Yeah. I, really, I really like that kind of um the way you think the education should be the other way around. Mm. I think that's cool because if you have people coming in at different levels as well, with different levels of knowledge, mm. they can just learn that on their own, the, the basics, or, or they might already know it, and they can just like mm-hmm. just like skim it and go, yeah, like I'm happy with this. Because mm. when I was thinking about doing a degree, I was thinking about, you know, I could, I could go and do some kind of sports science degree. And part of what put me off is, do you know what? A lot of these lectures are going to be stuff that I already know. And like, mm. not in a big-headed way, but I've been doing this for no. a few years now. Yeah. I'm, I'm highly evidence-based so i'm deep into research every day get research reviews reading literature all the time so that kind of put me off so that's another thing that kind of pushed me in the like psychology direction where i've not mm. been as deep in the research yeah that makes sense i think i mean there's so much to say there one of the things that i always think is Sports science research is written very differently to site research and it's much easier yeah. to understand obviously there's a massive stats element to site research which is just hard to teach yourself it's hard to motivate yourself to teach yourself i think one of the big things for uni i think that taught me was critical thinking yeah but on the flip side i don't think it taught everyone on my course that there's still mm-hmm. people so interesting what you're saying about everyone starts from a different place we used to have on the masters obviously everyone came from some people had done a nutrition course we had dietitians on there coming to just top up their knowledge on sport and some of the biases that people held just because this is what we've been told as dietitians rather than this is what the evidence says was amazing. We had um, a guy called David Clayton who actually was a family friend of ours before I went to uni with him. He has done a lot of research on the sort of intermittent fasting type 2 type stuff and the impact on appetite regulation. Um, and so he was sort of presenting research showing that actually from an appetite perspective, it seems that people can tolerate these sort of things relatively well. And actually, we do have these outcomes in terms of weight and things like that. It's just about dietitians that were like, yeah, but breakfast. And he's like, yeah, but not not all the time for everyone. They're like, yeah, but 
remember like breakfast and how important breakfast is. You got to have breakfast. And he's just like, yeah, but like this is actual data that I've collected. In these people, it didn't matter. Yeah, no, I get that, but breakfast is really important. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. So there's nothing that will change your mind on breakfast. Breakfast is an interesting one. I've gone back and forth on breakfast in my head a lot. Yeah. How do you feel about it? So in terms of like, if you're working with a client, would you be like breakfast, no breakfast? It's, it's, this is a bit of a cop-out, but like it's completely <laughs> context-dependent, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm sure you'll agree with me. Mm. Because yeah. like, if, you, if you're not hungry and you want to skip breakfast, then do it. And if your goal is weight loss, mm. or you're struggling to maintain, you know, anywhere on that kind of spectrum, then that's an instant reduction to your to your eating yeah. window, and it's probably going to be a benefit. We know that it's not a detriment to mm-hmm. um, muscle gain, those kind of things. Benefits to hunger signals and and those kind of things that you're talking about as well. So there's uh, loads of benefits. Mm-hmm. But also, if someone's trying to gain muscle uh, and they're struggling to fit those calories in, then it's the opposite, isn't it? And you're like, well, yeah, start start eating earlier, eat more often someone's struggling with a regular eating pattern and the, it's more a relationship with food kind of thing, mm. then it's probably also a good thing to have breakfast and, and yeah. make that a more substantial meal. So, mm. so, so, so many factors. I don't think there's a black and white answer, breakfast, yes or no. No. Yeah, and I think I'm exactly the same. I think the one reason it's changed and I've been breakfast more and or See, I, I say breakfast more. I never recommend it, but if someone says, I don't have breakfast, is that okay? And I'll be more inclined to say, oh, I think you probably should. Is the relationship with food like I find myself snappy and after seven and can't stop? You're like, well, yeah. you've let yourself get that hungry because you're yeah. saving calories, but you eat 3,000 calories because you're starving. Then breakfast is a good idea. Um, it's interesting how many people sort of like make up things that will happen if you don't have breakfast or if you have breakfast. <laughs> just stuff like, oh, yeah, well, you just won't be able to concentrate all morning. How are you going to concentrate if you're not any food? Well, obviously, and there's like some evidence of that in children, which I think, fair enough, children, child nutrition, not my ball game. I don't comment on it because it's, it's just different. Um, so from like 14 down, I'm not interested. Not not interested, but yeah, not interested actually. No, I don't give a fuck. Um, I just don't know anything about it. But like from that up, there's no evidence showing that athletes' cognitive abilities are impaired without a, a morning meal. I know a lot of people, me, personally, anecdotally, perform better without food in the morning yeah so i'm very much yeah, a, a weekday well. yeah a weekday like not until 11 o'clock sort of breakfast weekends i probably have breakfast because weekend breakfast choices you've got a bit of time and it's just nicer aren't they so you've got time I to cook i love do, cook breakfast I do almost exactly the same thing mate yeah, yeah. exactly what i do it's funny, like people yeah. just love a black and white answer don't they black and white thinking mm. yeah so you see it all the time um i listen to Eric Eric Trexler, Eric Trexler, you know, Strong by Science podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was talking in the last episode about like a modified one meal a day. So one meal a day mm. seems to be getting more popular, which is like the extreme of this windowed eating, where yeah. you, just, you eat for like an hour or two hours, one one meal in the evening. But that comes with all sorts of issues, like protein distribution. Um, mm. How do you put your workout? Do you put it before that when you fasted or after it when you've just ate a fuckload of food? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. So he said he sometimes does this kind of modified one meal a day where he'll just have a protein shake or like a couple of protein servings with not much else through the day mm. and then most of his food in that one meal window in the evening. I'm like, mm. oh, mind-blowing, like amazing. 
But these one meal a day people, it's gaining popularity. The people that talk about it's it, are like, isn't it? It's like no, it's 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 the way, and like there's so many benefits. Just one meal a day, you cannot eat outside of this one meal a day. You're like why? Yeah. The the middle Just... ground is is like the best of both worlds. Like all the advantages, yeah. and disadvantages. The fasting stuff's so interesting to me, and it's one of those weird areas where I will read and read and read, but will rarely implement because I just don't have that many clients that. So again, if you're working on your relationship with food, like a lot of my clients are, not yeah. stuff that I want them to suddenly start skipping meals and only eating at certain times. But yeah, I think the, the claims that are made about fasting and stuff and window eating versus what we know are just. Have you read um, Lifespan by David Sinclair? No. So that's it's a book, and we know how nutrition books go. Um, <laughs> but he's he's like a massive, massive, like time restricted eating fan. Um, and he's done some of the research like in his defense he's done some research so it's not like he's just some he's not a doctor just saying what he fancies saying but he's so bullish on how important that is for life and he makes huge claims like we'll be living to 150 and 200 if we start doing this stuff um based on purely on animal models and even in his podcast which there aren't many of he's like yeah yeah well obviously this is an animals but we see it on a cellular level in humans so and you're just like, well, there's not. It's obviously very difficult research to carry out in humans. Yeah. yeah. Which makes it challenging. And the mechanism makes sense. We see it in animals, which makes sense in other uh, living species. But yeah, it's a big stretch to humans. But it does interest me. But like you said, the one thing I struggle with is the difference between recommendations. We know how important having muscle mass is and resistance training is for health. Muscle mass for like, not being fragile as we get older for autonomy for glucose disposal things like that Huge. um so yeah how does not spacing out protein throughout the day be better how's that better for muscle how's fasting better than all the things we know is optimal for muscle where's the where's the difference where do we draw the line mm. um which i think is really interesting like we know how important food variety is and getting loads of different types of plants in how do you do that one meal a day okay. really difficult yeah yeah but practically um so yeah no i think it's a fascinating area and we'll probably find out more and i wouldn't be surprised if there is some benefit to eating in a shorter window some of the time or fasting some of the time mm. i don't know if you ever played around with fast yourself like actual fast stuff yeah i have as well a bit, yeah it's quite a few years ago before i really got into um fitness and yeah. coaching stuff properly i did proper fast like i think i did a 48 hour once yeah um and it gets gets pretty crazy after like 24 hours yeah um, but it was a really interesting experience actually and learning experience of like what true hunger feels like and also how it kind of like peaks and then falls mm. off and all those kind of things so um, yeah it was interesting actually I, I know like some of that fasting research that the fasting kind of advocates will point at a lot of the time um like say animal models there's a there's a rat study that they always point at. I think it's theory of like growth hormone because that's the thing that they talk mm. about for like muscle growth, which is like it doesn't work that way at all. Mm. But that's another story. Um, but like the because <laughs> the equivalent fasting time in rats compared to their lifespan Massive. in a human yeah. that'd be like a month fasting. Yeah. So it's like you can't extrapolate these rats to humans. No. It doesn't work. No, exactly. But they're happy to extrapolate the amount of time that they'd get. On their life and to yeah. turn that to human yeah. years, but the other way around, no, not having that. No, 
which yeah, no, that is a it's a funny dichotomy, isn't it? Um, but yeah, no, I've played around with fast myself. It's been like between one and three days. I did a three day one probably a few months ago now. Um, training gets grim, doesn't it? Like oh, second yeah. second day's worst day. I think third day is actually better than the second yeah. day. But yeah. any sort of volume on your second day, and like you're a much more accomplished lifter than I am. Like I'm just a general bogan. But um, but yeah, even I can feel it, and I can see why. If I were you, I would not be doing fasting as much. But um, right. But yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one. Like you said, I know Martin McDonald spoke about it before, and I'm not his biggest fan as a person. But in terms of okay. nutrition, like having people, and I probably don't agree with him on this because he says actually sometimes for some people having a 24 hour fast just looking down what hunger is and isn't, and actually how it peaks and drops is a good idea. And in theory, that makes sense. But I don't know many people psychologically that that's a good idea for. If you know what I mean? Like you start teaching people that fasting is this great idea. There's a lot of people that that's a lot further down the road than they are. And it's probably not the best thing for yeah. them. But yeah, in theory, helping people understand that actually you can be hungry and that's fine. And it, you won't die of it immediately. Um, <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it really needs to be couched in the right way. I think mm. definitely with the right person. It's not like yeah. you've got a new client, right? First thing we're going to do is 24 hour fast. Like yeah. Insane. But also, yeah, you need to really caveat and be like, look, we're doing this for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. There's not magic here. You're not going to yeah. magically get gains. It's not something we're going to do every month or whatever. It no. like, needs all of that, doesn't it? I think it's, it's one of those things where is there a better way of helping someone understand that than making them go through that? And sometimes with some things, there's no better way than lived experience of the things. But I think that's not one of them. I think you can explain to someone, actually, we'll let you be hungry for this period of time throughout the day and watch you be fine. Yeah, working on like hunger scales as well, like you know, one mm. scale, pretty classic stuff. Yeah, 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 pretty much. And like, yeah, noticing when you're hungry, when you're not, when you want something else, is mind blowing for a lot of people. I spoke to someone earlier, and they were like, "Yeah, I can't believe that." But actually, I know it's when I'm sad about this because like they had a trauma a few years ago. And they're like, actually, yeah, that's what, and it's the anniversary of that coming up, and I find that I procrastinate on work by just sitting and eating when I know that this other thing would be better, and you're just like, yeah. Wow, that's huge. Isn't that crazy? Mm. Yeah. I want to go back to you talking about these dietitians that like, couldn't change the yeah. plans. Um, because it reminded me, a, a question that I ask myself a lot and I've struggled with, and I also get people ask, asking me as well, I struggle with it, is like, how do you know who to trust? And the thing I go around in circles with is like, well, you know, if they've, if they've got, if they're educated, they've got a degree, um, you know, like by the time they got a PhD, you know, they're a doctor, should know what they're talking about. So, like, a lot of the people I follow and get information from are PhDs and they know what they're talking about. But also, then you see PhDs, doctors that are talking absolute bullshit. So, like, it's not a hundred percent guarantee, is it? Mm. And it's the same with dietitians, dietetics. Like, that should be a pretty strong guarantee that someone knows what they're talking about. But you see dietitians are talking rubbish as well. And like these people that really struggle to change their minds. So yeah. And, and for me, like I don't have a degree at all, as we've just discussed. Mm. I've, I mean, people can choose to trust me or not. That's up to them. But like, I, I can't say, wow, like, you know, you, it needs to be at least a PhD for you to trust someone. Cause like, where does, mm. does that put me? Like, I think I, I'm pretty trustworthy. I hope people would trust what I'm saying. 
So I, I just I go round and round with this. I, I don't know what the kind of criteria is, no. except once you've got as much experience as we have, kind of get a feel for people. But mm. the people that we're working with in general public, they, they don't have that ability. So it's not a surprise how people get fooled. Yeah, I do the same. And I think I hate it. I, I used to think like, oh, just do some research and like make sure you look around. And I think actually, and I hate now, I hate people saying, oh, just do some research because people are so, oh. and that's the one thing that degrees were good for is that they show you how to research, where to look, what to look for, what to, how to interpret a study. People aren't, equipped to do their own research on what's good and what's not because some people oh, do yeah. some research to be go and read a book on it and you could go and pick like the gary Taubes or whatever and read yeah. why sugar is going to kill you and you say well, i've done my research yeah but that was shit research. i meant to do good research yeah. and they're like i don't know what you mean yeah. so yeah I'm, i don't like it's, it's, that. to anybody who doesn't already know who that person is like medical doctor in research public published research that is peer-reviewed you know yeah this guy's credible you know cabbage yeah yeah. Um, it's it's difficult, and I think now I think the dietitian one's a perfect example because you think this should be like you said, this should be qualified, good advice. But if you think where that advice has come from and how many how many people have like been involved in putting that advice together, publishing it in the first place, peer reviewing it, and then teaching it, teaching it with like how many people and their biases are all included in that advice getting to that last person who then has their own biases and interpretations. So when you look at it like that, is it any surprise that we get variation and we don't get people just doing the one thing? And when we do get people all towing the same line, is that because someone at the top had the bias of everyone should do it this way and they were all taught to follow me and everyone did. So, yeah, and that's science, isn't it? Like there's no, there's never any cut and shut, this is it and it's crap on me your day. Um, but in answer to your question, what I normally do now is just send people people that I know that I trust and just like follow these, 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 and these. That's the easiest way of doing it rather than telling them what to look yeah. for. Because yeah, like yeah. you said, we've been we've been in the game a few years. We know what to look for and who is good and who's not good, who's bullshitting. So I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. One thing that's just popped into mind is um because you're talking about like the way that science is, mm. I think a good thing for people to look for is um like no black and white answers and the way, the way that people speak so you, you get a feel for that as well so like yeah the gary Taubes is the the less credible people will say no this is the only way to do things yeah and this is like magic effectively you know um and that should be red flags straight away that's Whereas true you and i what were we just talking about like fasting skipping breakfast yeah. well yeah sometimes good in these situations sometimes it's not etc there's mm. multiple factors involved true like, when you hear that you, you know you're getting a more balanced view whether that is um which makes it more likely that it's that it's kind of in the right ballpark i think that's you know true I mean? but then on the flip side are we all just adamant of different things aren't we all adamant that everyone should have an individualized approach where it works <laughs> for them that in itself is a sort yeah. of that's my one golden rule so i still have rules like that so but no generally and again research you see it most of the time it'll be like we found this in this study with these people this is what we saw but not always. You'll still get some authors being like, and this is how we solve this problem and it will be solved forever. And you just go like, yeah. based on who you've looked at and what you've looked yeah. at and what you've done, how have you drawn the conclusions you've drawn? Because I can't draw those same conclusions. So, yeah, yeah it's an imperfect science that everyone should stop bothering. That's the message. <laughs> just, just give up because what, what's the fucking yeah. point? That's, that's why I always come back to when I do these questions in my head. 
Just just train harder than you can. Have a bear and die. What you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Good tangent. We done now, aren't we? Is that it? Cool. That's, that's pretty much it. Well, I'll at least move on. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. <laughs> well, that was a really good side tangent. Yeah. Good. Good chat. I like it. So, moving on to the first level of the game, tutorial mm-hmm. level. It's your opportunity to teach something today. So, what is the one thing you wish you could teach everybody, if you could, or at least what do you want the listeners that are listening today to learn? It's a difficult question, I think. And the more I thought about it, the more I always come back to this answer as a starting point. So it's not the whole answer, but it's the best place to start is if you understand what you give a shit about in your life, that makes things much easier to change for. One of the biggest things that I sort of stumbled across, and I did this in a not very scientific way, but I found this over and over again and then Googled the answer for it which we shouldn't do. Like you shouldn't try and Google to confirm your own biases around what you think is happening. That's not how science works, but that is what I did. And I just found over and over again that the people that really struggle to change are the ones who either don't know what they're changing for or the changes don't align with the things that they care about in their life. So obviously there's someone who is a friend or has done education in acts and things like that, like value driven behavior is a big part of that type of therapy. Um, and I do think values-driven coaching is relatively like new and unheard of for a lot of people, but just makes so much sense that if you know what you care about in your life and you have things that you care about and that you value, you then know who you want to be your best for or what you want to be your best for. And that then makes you more likely when things are difficult to go, actually, I am going to do this because I'm doing it because of this and this higher goal that I have. And therefore, it makes it much easier to give a shit about. The people that struggle are the ones who just go, oh, I just want to lose weight because I'm not happy. And you're like, well, yeah, but why? So one um, really coach, uh, really popular coaching technique is the five whys. Yeah. So if you say, I want to be healthy, why? Oh, well, I want to be healthy because the doctor said I need to be. Okay, why? Well, because my family have these issues and I don't want to get these issues. But why? Well, because I want to live longer than they do. Why? Oh, because actually I want to spend time with my kids and I really like that. And you eventually get down to this is the thing that I value the most. Ding, 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 ding. That's the bit. Exactly. Um, And the other thing that I find with values driven stuff is that most people say that they value one thing and their behavior shows the exact opposite. And that's why it doesn't stick. So like I always give the example when I talk to people or do talks about the mom who says, I really value having more energy to play with my children or I value energy for connection with other people. And you look at how they're trying to lose weight to get more energy and it's like horrible detox diet or 200 calories a day sort of thing. You just go, your behavior literally completely contradicts the thing that you're telling me you give a fuck about. And that is exactly why it's not sticking. It makes no sense. Um, so yeah, I think if you work out in your life and there's loads of ways of doing it, what you give a shit about, you will then realize what you've got to actually try and work towards and you can make behaviors that actually help you get there. So good, China. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. Mm. That's so good. It's really, the, one of the little things from ACT, acceptance mm. and commitment therapy that I use um, really often is the choice point, which is mm. like, you're it for, for people listening. It's Charlie seems to know. Um, you, you reach your choice points and you can either do towards moves or away moves. It's like a split, like a fork in the road, and towards moves it towards your values and goals in life and stuff that we're talking about. 
and the away moves are the opposite away from that. Such a simple thing, but I've used mm. it with quite a few clients. Yeah. Specific circumstances like this is this is your goals and values that you're talking to me about. What happens when you're affected by these factors and you make away move? What kind of away moves do you make? Actually, what would be towards moves that would bring you towards mm. goals? And let's plan on doing those kind of things. Mm. It's um, yeah. Yeah, it's been, and that is just a very small part of this whole values-based. Did you call it values-based coaching? Mm. Love that. Yeah, there's probably better ways of putting it, or actual ways that people have defined. But I think that sums it up quite nicely. Um, yeah. yeah, a question that I ask clients a lot, and I ask today to the client is: ask yourself, does this serve me? Rather than is this healthy or unhealthy or bad or good? Nice. Because yeah. you use like two examples I give. You could have. Say you have a bottle of wine with a friend at a meal and you haven't seen this friend in ages. You've been working from home all week, sat on your own, feeling a bit shit. Does it, like, is this healthy? Not really. Like, no one can argue that a whole bottle of wine to yourself is healthy. It's not a great idea, is it? Um, is it good or bad? Well, most people put it in the bad category. Does this serve me? Absolutely. Like that social connection and that social, we often forget about social and mental as part of health. We always think about physical health. Um, and I think during the pandemic, we saw how important social health was. Does this serve me in that scenario? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whole bottle, like it's a bottle of wine. You can cut through it the rest of the week. You'll feel shit the next day. But you'd have had a really good time. Got some memories. Like, well worth it. That same bottle of wine, if you're sat at home, at home on your own and you've drank it because someone cut you up on the way home and your favourite cast member on EastEnders has died, does that then serve you? Absolutely not. Like you're just a bit pissed off. You could go and do a million other things that would make you feel better than that bottle of wine will. And that's such a better frame of, and it sort of comes back to that sort of choice thing that you mentioned, which one's going to move me towards the things that I want. Yeah. And again, like you could flip that and say, so many people cut out food or socials to try and get this thing. And you say, what do you want? Well, I just want to be happy, but those things make you happy. So actually you're again, completely taking yourself away from the very thing that you say you fucking want in the first place. So, yeah, I think values are a really nice place to start. And actually, at the start of coaching, which I didn't used to do, I do get a few minutes to talk through clients what their values are. And I have a few exercises that I use with them. So a bucket list is quite a nice one. Just because it sort of allows you to think, well, actually, like I've listed all these things and five out of six of them are travel related. Travel is obviously a value that matters to me. Or five of them are with other people. Connection with other people is really important. Um, Frustration flipping is another nice one. So think about 20 things that piss you off and then flip them and think, well, what is it that they're stopping you from doing? Oh, I get really pissed off that I spend all my time doing this. Why? Well, actually, I'd rather spend my time doing this. Okay, well, that thing's obviously a thing you value. Let's try and shape your life more around those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, there's a few different exercises that people can use. Or you can just get a big list of values and write down the ones that, which is a, a really common sort of core values exercise. Like, here's a list of all of my here's a question for you what are yours what would you say yours are my, my instinct was like I'll pull up my spreadsheet and I'll tell you because I've got <laughs> please do please do I'll list you guys spreadsheet I won't do that uh, because like you should know your core values off the top of your head really shouldn't you or, or else are they really yeah, your core values um, but definitely uh, honesty and mm -hmm. um call on your like to, to be yourself authenticity Authentic authenticity yeah. um 
Yeah, and I think for me, connection as well with, with other people, similar to the stuff we were talking about. Um, and learning, for sure. Mm. Which I know you're a big fan of. You do a lot of reading. Mm. What are yours? Only fair? Good question. One other thing that I get people to do while I think of values is actually add a verb to them. So actually think about how you do them, which is quite nice because otherwise they, they can feel a bit vague for people. So mine would be, mine spelled F cash, which I quite like. It sounds like I don't care about money, which is sort of true. So that's quite cool. Ah. Um, so freedom for me. So like freedom to do the work I want to do, where I want yeah. to do it, which is sort of why online coaching is nice. Um, curiosity, which is sort of the same as your sort of learning one. Um, and interesting, when we talk about education, like there were years at school. As a kid, I was I read everything. I just enjoyed learning. School pretty much taught that out of me. And I didn't really get that back until the end of uni, like sort of end of my master's. And I probably would only say that I've really started to find my feet with that again in the past year. And like you said, like I do a lot of reading now and I feel like that's making up for lost time. Um, so yeah, curiosity, authenticity, exactly the same uh, in my work and stuff, which is why I think it surprises people that I used to be shy because I spent a lot of time working to try and show up as myself online, because that's generally when I enjoy my work the most, and I do my best work. And from a business perspective, like it sounds counterintuitive, but if you show up as yourself, people work with you because they're like, I like you for you. Yeah. Um, as a tangent, that's the hardest bit about social media. And I said this to people a lot in that if people are saying, just be yourself online and you are, and people unfollow, unsubscribe, argue, etc., it's a, feels like a personal attack of yeah. well I'm just putting me out there you're basically telling me you don't like me that's quite <laughs> difficult to handle but um so yeah that authenticity is important simplicity for me is one just in life in general like I nice. I don't really have room for drama or like complexity and stuff I just want to do my job enjoy a beer and some food go home and and then humor is the last one just because oh, nice nice it's like having fun I think that's the whole point if stuff is like I laugh at myself multiple times per day or other people or things you said i just don't think life's very enjoyable if you don't have that they're great but, uh, yeah and they're all pretty similar to yours to be fair they're yeah. pretty much still an image for the stuff that you've said a lot of them yeah yeah like i um, listen to you i'm like yeah i could go for that as well like <laughs> like a list like you could rank these and then mm. like you take like your top five or whatever because i yeah yeah I'll, I'll have all of your values as well yeah like, i'll just add yeah, them to mine you know it's a mouthful this, then, this, isn't this it? pantheon of value. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love those techniques for like finding your values. There's a few things mm. that um, I've not heard of that I'll, I'll mm. incorporate um, with my clients and with myself, particularly. Um, does it serve you? I'm going to start saying that to myself mm. genuinely. I think that's really good. Yeah, I think it's powerful. I think uh, like there's a few variations on that. Like, will will this? Will future me thank me for this and stuff like that? There's different nice. ways, or what do I need right now? There are lots of ways of framing a similar question, uh, depending on the scenario. But just even just having a question, and this is something I spoke about with someone earlier, what we're basically trying to do is create a gap between how you feel and then what you do. So, like, I don't know if you've read Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel yeah. Kahneman, Daniel where he talks about this sort of system one and system two brain. System one's the impulsive one, system two's the more rational, like prefrontal cortex type thing. Um, and we're just trying to create that gap so system two can oh. kick in and go, this is what we want. These are the things that matter to us. This is all the goals we've got. 
now act appropriately where system one's like, oh, I feel this, let's do this. So yeah, all, a lot of coaching, particularly around food and mindfulness is just, can we create that space to then shift our attention to something that's going to help us? And all, a lot of my coaching techniques basically boil down to that, just creating a space for you to make a mindful decision. Um, intention, which is a word I use a lot of times, is being intentional with things. And if that's yeah. going out on the piss with friends, that's fine, as long as you intended to do that and it happened because you wanted to. Sounds really familiar. Definitely said pretty much those exact words, I think. Yeah. Between between stimulus and response, there's a gap. And that, in that gap mm. is our chance to choose or something frankly, i think yeah, yeah. nice nice yeah, yeah. another good book man's search for, yeah. more, for meaning yeah great that's tutorial level over good teach time for the boss fight what is your biggest challenge or your client's biggest challenge you or your clients my biggest challenge is doing all of these things myself that's constantly my biggest challenge, like consistency with food, with training, with work, all these things that I'm really good at and other people do is doing it myself. Um, I probably, I say like the self-compassion elements of the stuff that I teach clients is the hardest stuff to act on myself in terms of, so like for people listening, the three tenets of self-compassion are self-kindness. So being kind to yourself rather than being self-critical, uh, mindfulness and common humanity or shared humanity which is basically the idea that the only thing that we all have in common is that we fuck up that's the only shared trait that we all have um <laughs> is that we none of us are perfect to all make mistakes and actually knowing that is quite nice because you can think well actually that's fine because we all fuck up and i've fucked up and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that um but i find i don't i don't know why i find that so difficult i think there's i've never been very good at it and learning about it hasn't necessarily made me loads better at it maybe a bit better at it um but also like when we look at i don't know if you follow any of like the classic like fitness business pages and things like that or entrepreneurs in general it's like it completely contradicts what everyone around you everywhere all the time is telling you it's like the like hustle poor mentality is the exact opposite of that self-compassion like well you just you've got to be working 25 hours a day eight days a week and if you're not you're shit and it's just like trying to sort of have that in my head but also be more compassionate at the same time it's just really difficult it's something i struggle with massively. yeah yeah, yeah. So, i hate that is, hustle, hustle yeah. culture hustle mentality mm. i absolutely yeah. hate that um, yeah, yeah it's, it's not really familiar mate. I, I, um i'm very similar and i find that because that is our job as well and because mm. we are also on the internet which you pretty much have to be these days yeah. i think um it you kind of feel you, you're even more likely to feel like an imposter and feel some kind of um shame almost i think mm. when that happens like i know i've recently i've had really inconsistent training for a few different mm. reasons and over the last long time like a couple of years i've steadily been gaining weight and i've struggled to mm. um diet during that whole period like in periods where i'm like right i'm gonna i'm gonna do a diet yeah Previously, years past, like I've really successfully dieted and I've used the, the own my own stuff that you know I teach other mm. people and coach other people through. Just struggled with that recently, and I yeah. felt I felt really um, I, I felt really really kind of ashamed about that and like, like an imposter. Mm. Like 
who am I to to like um do you know when it like peaks and I feel really bad about it and then I'll go to film a video and there's been a couple of times where I've been like I just can't because I feel like such an imposter I'm like how can I tell people how to do stuff right now when I can't even do it myself you know yeah no literally like, I resonate with that so much that I'm this year particularly probably from January onwards probably about as big as I've ever been like I always think and I always say to people like if I were to do the classic Instagram photos of a fitness photo shoot type thing I wouldn't like no one would look at me and go nutritionist and that that's like and nutritionist is no look and they don't have looks but it's very difficult to detach yourself from that so like at my leanest couple of years ago I was probably about 89 kilos and I probably chill at around 106 107 now now some of that is more muscle mass because it's two years of training but some of it isn't and to not feel bad about that so that on the bad days you feel awful about it and on the good days you think actually I've got all these clients that I work with and all this great stuff I do because it doesn't matter and they don't care so I help them and they've I've made a massive difference and that's amazing but yeah there are times there are times when you do feel that and I think that's inevitable but yeah it's it's probably my biggest challenge I think the hustle stuff is just so and I think what's worse is that there are people that can sort of be going at 100 miles per hour all the time. And they're very few and far between. But some of them end up being successful, like you say. Some of them are on the internet. And they then become the gold standard for everyone else. So like Gary Vaynerchuk's a perfect example. Yeah, He's just, I think some people are just built slightly differently. Well, I mean, everyone is. And he's just built that way. Like he has a perfect set of family circumstances as a kid. Perfect in the sense of allowing him to do this. And I just think everything he's done has been geared towards non-stop work. And that's amazing for him. Like, that's great. He's obviously very successful in terms of what he defines success as. But I don't think a lot of people are like that. And I think a lot of people struggle because, same in the fitness world, like a lot of people are in great shape. But there are a lot of people that could never do, like the training volumes that are required for some people being great, Nick. My body can't handle, as my glass back has shown me recently. Like, my body doesn't adapt in the same way that other people do. And I'm ba- again, on bad days, you think, well, that's just an excuse. You're not trying hard enough. And on good days, you're like, that's just that's the honest truth. I don't adapt particularly well to it. I don't handle massive volume. My life isn't set up to do that because it's not a massive priority for me. I need to stop taking on other people's priorities as my own because they're not my own. And none of my values are based around being shredded or massive or even lifting well because they're not that important to me. But yeah. It all comes down to implementing stuff yourself is fucking difficult. Yeah. Which is great because people can relate to you a bit more, I think. Because they they're looking at you and go, well, you're not perfect. You don't expect me to be perfect. Let's all be happy. Um, one thing that I actually hate loads, which I've been thinking about recently, are the PTs or any other sort of coaches that go, no, I completely get it. It's even hard for me sometimes. I think, <laughs> what do you mean for you? Like, who the fuck are you? Like, even I struggle and I'm fucking excellent. They're just like, fuck off. Who are you to say that like, even for me? Even I, a literal yeah. God, sometimes struggle. <laughs> Who stands before you as your leader? Even I struggle. Shut up. But, um, oh, mate, if we were to talk about every issue I've got with people in the industry, then we'd be here for a long fucking time. Absolutely. Maybe we, we could do a dedicated hour dedicated <laughs> podcast to just that. Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah I'd, be, I'd be up for it. I think there's a lot. Yeah, okay. of, I think a big factor is like survivorship bias in those things mm. in fitness. So in 
like the classic physique people that you see that are just grind hard training massive volumes all the time like mm. they're just the people that survived that training and managed yeah. to you know they genetically um, and environmentally it just worked for them yeah. you don't see all the people that tried to train like that and failed you know because it was too much for them yeah. and they didn't have the genetics and it's the same with hustle culture like you see these people that are 24 7 grind and they're just the ones that survive they're the ones that could do that for whatever reason because it's the way mm. that they're, they're built like you're saying psychologically and physically yeah i've never thought of it as like survivorship bias but I mean, that's the best explanation for it and basically the people that didn't make it to where you are are the lucky ones that got intercepted by something else in their life so that they couldn't continue before they've got to the point that you're at where you're basically ridiculously lean freezing cold can't even look at food because it scares the shit out of you preaching to everyone else about how great it is and all that happens for the people that got there and people that didn't a lot of the time is that yeah their life got in the way first like they got injured or they got ill or they had a breakdown like and you don't see those people i don't have personally don't have anything against physique and bodybuilding generally for sports and i know a lot of people in our industry do you sort of fall on the other side of it and they're either the best thing ever or and a measure of fitness which they're not or they're the worst thing ever and they're not they do massively promote disordered approaches to pretty much every aspect of living um and i do think you have a shelf life in those sports but yeah i don't necessarily have something against them what i do have a massive issue with are coaches coaching everyone the same way even people that don't have those goals so i have women that come to me that are have struggled with their weight or their lives for example and they're like, yeah, well, I did do this bikini plan once. I think, why? Like, <laughs> twelve hundred calories a day to look lean, and you don't want to look lean. You've just told me you're not that arse about looking really lean. And that's something that I get a lot in sort of first calls with people that upset me is, um, I don't really want to get like really lean, or like I'm not never going to be really lean. Like, no one said you were. Like, you don't have to sort of justify or like pre-quantify how lean you're willing to get. Like, just you're going to say, actually, I want to change for this, and I want to feel better and that's fine yeah but yeah how do you feel about the sort of physique bodybuilding type stuff i've heard not exactly you personally, that. Just, i've heard exactly yeah. that, that you're just saying um a, a huge i've worked i've worked with bodybuilders i've prepped mm. bodybuilders to the stage um i think it's absolutely rife with poor coaching um and it's just I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, it just turns out eating disorders. Yeah. It, it really does. And it's, it's tough because I've got nothing against bodybuilding itself. And I think it can yeah. be done ethically and like in a, in a good way. Mm. It is tough. One, I like had this idea a few months ago and I was like, I'm going to say I'm never going to, I'm never going to, um, I'm not going to talk about fat loss anymore. You know, mm. it's like I'm just not going to talk about fat loss anymore. Um, but because of those kind of toxic implications, you know, um, and it's just less interesting to me. Like it's more interesting mm. if there's another goal. Like yeah, if yeah. you want to lose a bit of fat for performance reasons for your sport or for like a weight class, that's cool. If you're a bodybuilder, then it's not really about the the fat loss, you know. That's just mm. part of your journey as a bodybuilder. The main thing is gaining muscle. But then in order to get to stage, you have to lose fat. Mm. So I had this idea. I was like, 
I don't want to talk about just fat loss for fat loss sake anymore. Mm. But the more I went around in my head, I was like, if I like announce, I'm not talking about fat loss anymore. Cool. That sounds like a dramatic thing. Yeah. People will be like, oh, so like you're not going to work with bodybuilders because you have to lose fat. I'm like, well, yeah, I am. Because that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, so you're not going to help people get into weight classes? Well, I am because that's a different yeah. thing. Like they've got, they've got a different like value driving it. So then it just sounds like a bit of a cop out. Like, oh, you say you, you say you're not going to talk about fat loss, but you are really. Like, it's just mm. it's just drama, you know. That's I think that's the issue that I have with like the anti diet stuff, which again comes back to black and white thinking. I I dislike like like anti diet people almost as much as I hate the really like diet culture side of things because you're telling people what they can and can't do with their body just in a different way, and I don't get how people don't see that. Like the anti diet is like well, you only want to lose weight because of this, and now it's all because of society or the patriarchy or whatever, Some uh, with some valid things within that, 100%. But, like, I'm telling people what they can and can't do with their body. Yes, you should try and promote that they do it in a healthy way, and they do it for... And I have a friend, Kate Shilland, who's a poor nutritionist. She works a lot with teenagers. And when she works with adults, she's like, we can have a weight loss goal, but I want a different one as well, which is a simple yes. approach that I really like. Nice. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the things that actually really changed my practice when I heard that, even though it sounds so simple. It's just like, yeah, I'm not willing to just let you set some arbitrary weight goal and just yeah. like, just sprint off towards that. Yeah. But yeah, if people want to lose weight, that's absolutely fine. But also I think it's, and I'm a bit better at this now, is actually setting out, being realistic with their expectations of what that's going to give them, how it's going to work, what it will look like and how they feel afterwards. Because as we know, like that sort of, arrival fallacy of I'll be happy when I get to this oh fuck I'm here and I'm actually not any happier at all yeah, and I've just yeah. skipped everything in my life to get here and I'm still not happy maybe it wasn't the weight but no one ever thinks that they think oh maybe it's another seven pounds away it's not it's just not about the weight um but yeah so I I'm certainly not anti-diet um and I think a lot of those sort of terms get thrown around like health at every size and another one which I think people misinterpret a little bit Health at every size that you should have the right to healthcare and to be treated like a human with healthcare. But do I think that being obese is good for us? No, I don't. And I do think we have an overwhelming evidence base to suggest it's not. And it, it confuses me that people try and misinterpret that evidence to say that actually, no, it's it's fine to be whatever weight you want. Like that's yeah. patently not true. But that doesn't mean you can dehumanize people in the pursuit of a healthier size and I think that's where the key difference is for me so yeah diet culture can get in the bin but then so can anti-diet people saying no you can't do this with your body because you're now telling them what they can do which is the same as diet culture for yeah. me yeah it's, it's that middle ground it's the lack of black and white mm. thinking is it exactly what I was yeah. talking about before I, th I think um, weight neutral approaches are really useful mm. and I, I, I will use them interchangeably with with um, you know, weight focused uh, mm. approaches, uh, and I think that's great. So, yeah, yeah, you'll see people all the time when you talk about health at every size going, Oh, so you think that's healthy, do you? Like, a beast person, like, it's obviously not like, yeah, that's, that's not what it means. Mm. I, I think that was really, that really changed my thinking was seeing the, the evidence, strong evidence that activity had much more of an impact on health than weight mm. so an, an active overweight person 
has got a higher lifespan than an inactive, healthy weight person. Mm. So actually, like you don't, because I used to think I used to be one of those people. I think like it doesn't doesn't matter what you do if you're if you're overweight, like you're unhealthy. The best thing you can do is get down to a healthy weight. Which Mm -hmm. yes, it's going to help, but if that's a real struggle for you, that's a challenge. You've been trying to do that for years with not much success. Actually, there's loads of other things we can do to to improve your health Mm -hmm. without even talking about weight. These these weight um, weight neutral approaches can increase your activity, increase food variety, up your protein intake, do some resistance training, like all this kind of stuff. Mm. And look at like stress and sleep and, you know, I could go on. Yeah. No, 100%. And you often, with those sort of people, you inadvertently get some weight loss because they're now doing all the behaviours exactly. that you... Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's the same. I always come back to this with sort of when people say I was happy at this weight and I'm not at that weight anymore, I'm not happy anymore. Were you happy because of the weight or were you happy because of all the behaviours that got you to that weight? That's why you were happy. You were training three times a week. You were going outside. You were meeting people. You were drinking regularly. Eating fruit and veg. And now you're not doing any of those. It's got like, yes, there's probably a confidence element to how you used to look before because you used to wear different clothes and you used to go out in those different clothes and you did feel great. And there is an element of that. And I think people try and disregard that. And I think I've probably been guilty in the past of going, no, you're not more confident at that weight than you are at this weight. It's actually just about this. But it probably, there is an element of, I like looking like this. Um, so, yeah, often it's just the behaviours that get you there rather than the sort of outcome, which, again, surprise, surprise, it comes down to the sort of process and enjoying that than it does the, the outcome of it. Because uh, in theory, like, realistically, there's no real outcome. For most of the time, you're just trying to live. That's only deep than it probably was, to be honest. Yeah. It's just life, man. I was just, just musing on that there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Quote, yeah. Charlie B. Stone, 2022. It's just, oh. life, man. Yeah. It's just life, man. All right. Quick one. Mm-hmm. Cheat code. What is one quick tip that you can share that makes a big difference? I think learning, but then I'm biased yeah. as someone who enjoys learning. Um, but like I posted on Instagram the other day, Warren Buffett learns loads and he's a billionaire. So if you don't need what more motivation do you need than that? Um, but no, I, I just think like everyone has something that interests them. And I just don't get, I think most people have a more purposeful fulfilling life if they pursue those interests and learn more about them. And the people that I see that are the least happy, and this is just my personal belief and people can disagree are the people that have a lot of job they don't enjoy and they sit in front of the tv to cope with the life that they've just come away from that they don't enjoy and there's nothing to that and then they go and get absolutely hammered all weekend and then return to the same life and they live for two weeks off in august where they can go and get hammered somewhere else where it's warmer and i just think like there can't be anything fulfilling in the long term to that so i think learning is that sort of gateway to actually having a fulfilling life because it's just it doesn't matter what the fucking thing is that you're interested in but and i know for me personally so this is probably just from my experience that how my life has changed when i've embraced the fact that actually i like to learn rather than run away from it as a teenager there's nothing cool about reading books as a teenager um but now i'm an adult and i'm allowed to read books so i'll do what the fuck i want i people wonder how i put and i don't i'm not trying to glorify how much i work i don't work loads and they say, oh, you used to work all the time. And I've never, I just read a lot. 
So I'm not probably like you and like in my spare time I'll pick up a book on psychology or I'll read journal article or I'll be musing on some other issue that I've got at work and stuff. Um when I was at Hartby, I was doing obviously the standard 48 hour week there, and then I was coaching alongside it, trying to build it up so that I could leave Hartbury. And I was doing another 35, 40 hours. And the only time where it felt difficult was at work. It was never the time between like five and eight when I was working in the morning and eight till ten in the evening that was hard. It was the bit in between. So yeah, I just think there's so much that people can do if they just want to learn about stuff. And you don't know where it'll take you. Particularly I think this is the best time ever to be doing it because you can monetize stuff that you're interested in very yeah. easily. And people yeah. do it all the time with blogs and Instagram and YouTube and bollocks. So it's not just about, and I don't agree that everything should have it be a means to an end where you've got to earn money from it. But a lot of people, you can if you wanted to. Like if you collected fucking like power pods or something. Do you remember them? The little football ones with the massive heads yeah, yeah. and the chocolate. <laughs> you could collect them and you probably do a fucking YouTube thing or sell them on eBay and make loads on it. But you don't have to to enjoy something. Um, yeah, I, I just think learning. Mm. You do you do a huge amount of reading. It seems. How many books have you read so far this year? I think it's something around forty-seven. Forty-seven already. Like For reference, yeah. we're recording this at the, the end of May. Forty-seven yeah. already. Yeah, that's more than two a week. When you put it like that, it does sound like a lot. I mean, not all <laughs> of them are two a week. I think. Yeah, not all of them are massive. Um, some of them are rereads as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, and that hasn't really felt like I'm not pushing myself to hit a, a number by the end of the year. I just read in my spare time. So normally about an hour before I start work, I'll read. I'll probably read for an hour and a half before bed. I switch off my phone pretty early because you're probably like me, like your job's on your phone a lot. So you're on your phone a lot. And I, fucking hate it i would say if i didn't do the job i do i wouldn't have social media i don't think wow yeah probably not um, i, I have more people's numbers where i'm just scrolling you know because i've you know i've been doing that kind of stuff but then you're just on on instagram and you're like mm. i don't even know what i'm doing anymore i just get to the point sometimes i'm just like get away from me like, distracted by it like i'll be on a phone, call phone. Yeah. yeah with my instagram open on my laptop and scrolling on my emails just like, what the fuck are you doing it really starts i think it really starts you being present so oh yeah um yeah so yeah, I'll you and your girlfriend will pick each other up for it mm. all the time. So she'll be like, "Why are yeah. you scrolling when we like doing something else or watching TV or whatever together?" I'll be like, yeah. oh, no, "Forget it, I'll, you know, I'll put it down." Yeah, same. Run and to it. be fair, like my girlfriend's a social worker, so her work's grim, and I find that she's like that a lot, particularly when work's bad. Same with TV and stuff, just mindless. Yeah, something to, and yeah, I find that with a lot of people, like comes back to sort of values driven way of life and things like if you don't enjoy what you're doing in your life then you end up having to try and hide from your life and then you spend your life either not enjoying it or trying to shy away from all the shit that's going on and that's not personally not how i'd like to lead my life so yeah um so i'll, I'll generally like sit my phone on charge downstairs or something now i bought an alarm clock best thing i did and then just sit and read a book for an hour and a half um I don't like using a Kindle, I'd rather have paperback, but just from a cost perspective, I use a Kindle just because who can afford that many books? Um, I've gone backwards and forwards on it, you know. I didn't didn't like um I used to read on a tablet in a very similar way yeah. to, to a Kindle a long time ago, which is nowhere near as good as a Kindle. But I did. Mm. And then I kind of got out of the habit of reading. 
and then I started reading paperbacks. So I'd like make I'd make notes in them, you know, write write mm. doggy of the corners and all that kind of stuff. And I like that, and I read more, and then that kind of dropped off as well. And then I got a Kindle. I got a Kindle for my birthday this year, um, and I, straight away it just huge increase in reading again, just because mm. I have it with me all the time. Can switch between books, which I do quite often. It's it's much mm. better now at making notes, making highlights, yeah. notes and stuff on a Kindle. Fantastic, like I love it, and I'm reading mm. a lot more. Have you got any? Yeah. You got any top tips for reading or for reading more? Reading in general or reading more? So I have. I don't even know if I should admit this, but I will. I have a website where I buy where I find books that are significantly cheaper, and by that I mean free, and um, and that's a big hack because it is expensive, yeah. and I do feel bad for doing it, but I do it. Um. So if the police listen to this, I'm fucked, but they'll never <laughs> pin it on me anyway. Um, but in terms of actual reading, uh, I think, catch, again, it comes back to that sort of intentionality. If you find yourself scrolling, putting your phone down and picking a book up instead, having books everywhere helps. So I've always got a book downstairs, a book upstairs, what I've written when there's yeah, books yeah. in there. Um, reading more than one book is yeah. a huge one. So many people just read the same book and if they get stuck on it, they just stop reading for months. And that baffles me. I've generally got four to six books on the go at a time. Which again, when you think about it, and then you're every time you're reading, you're reading something else, two books a week's not actually that hard. Yeah. Whereas we listen like it's almost like listening to the same person for 15 hours at a time. I couldn't do it. Yeah. But listening to four or five different people over 15 hours could do it easily. Um so four or five different books. Um and just stuff like I think people try and censor what they read. Or not censor, but try and pick stuff that doesn't necessarily interest them. Because yeah exactly yeah um sometimes it's because like people have recommended a book and everyone's reading it so they read it and it's shit sometimes it's because they want to appear learned and they pick up some of the there's no interest to them and they try and read it and it doesn't interest them still so they don't read it very long like if i and that's another thing is that quitting books i've become better at if i don't enjoy a book i'll put it down and just stop reading it yeah um yeah. And I, I probably choose better now as a result of that. Um, here's a question for you. What do you do with your notes? So when I used to make notes in paperbacks, when I read paperbacks, when I finished the book, I would flick through and I would copy my notes into a note, an electronic note. Mm-hmm. So I've got them in one place. Nice. And I, I'll be honest, most of them sit there and I never look at them again. But occasionally there'll be times where, oh yeah, that like I remember that thing from a book. And because it's in an electronic note, I'll be able to search for the yeah. kind of phrase or the author if I remember it or the name of the book or whatever. And you can look over it and kind of remind yourself of of what you what you read. I think it's not a big deal if you never look at those notes again. No. It's just the act of saying, yes, that this bit is important, and also kind of adding your own thought to it really helps kind of build that web of knowledge i think mm. yeah no i agree. i'm glad that you said you use those notes and take them so i do so i went down a rabbit hole on this about a year and a half ago like i was proper obsessed with productivity which i'm not as much now because i think a lot of it is down to avoiding procrastination and procrastination is normally because you don't enjoy the work you're doing so actually if you find better work to do, particularly for me because i have a choice some people don't have a choice then you don't procrastinate as much and that's generally the answer the antidote to that for me um but i don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called tiago forte 
it's big productivity like, ta- like tangentially because mm. it's funny i've been learning notion the website yep. notion mm. um so i've been watching like youtube videos and there's like thomas frank um, yes who does yeah, productivity yeah. and he does notion stuff um mm. and he's mentioned like tiago forte's um method what was it it's like, it's like a four brain. letter say again building the second brain yeah yeah so so he talks about thing. that yeah. and there's like a four letter acronym as well which is like oh i know i know what you mean systems some it's like something something ss systems and something yeah so yeah i like that's i've only heard his name i've never actually seen his stuff um, so during lockdown i went down like a notion rabbit hole trying to find what the best software is and basically there's not a best software but just stick to what i go with it so i use something called Rome research now yeah i've heard of that as well yeah mm, which is all like it's basically a blank canvas for you to backlink and so like if I search a word, like you say, or an author, all of the stuff that I've ever made notes comes up. So I do the same with book notes, um, which when in our sort of job, when you're like a lot of my check-ins are, kind of, uh, oh, this resource would be really good for you actually. I can just go and find it or this quote's really useful. Social media, content creation, like I don't have to think of many ideas because they're all there from other people. So that's really useful. But yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm glad that it's not just me that spends a bit of time going through their paperbacks and writing all the notes up and yeah. using like my clippings on kindle to copy and paste all and stuff like that yeah when it's on kindle it's easy because it just organizes yeah. them all for you you can see them by book clips, mm. notes etc yeah there's so, um there's extensions as well isn't there that copy yeah readwise the, which is like seven yeah. quid which puts yeah. them all in most of the popular like knowledge management softwares yeah getting some really fucking nerdy stuff now but yeah during lockdown i went through trying to find the best one best yeah. um like task list app and all that sort of bollocks but i've now settled on a sort of system for how i work and um, i spent more time trying to work out how to work than actually fucking working but that was my that's my procrastination really is trying to optimize the things the yeah, rather yeah. than just do the fucking work <laughs> um that's my thing so but yeah no i think knowledge management makes sense i there's nothing wrong with reading the book and getting rid of it but i think like that's sort of why you read stuff. I can't remember everything, but I can remember that they spoke about that in that book. I think that was really useful. I'm going to go back and read that. Yeah. I think reading is one thing where people like to make up rules for some reason. Mm. And one of them yeah. is like, oh, you should remember like everything you read. Like, you don't at all. No. Like, it doesn't matter if, if someone, if you just finish a book and someone says, what was that about? You know, oh, I ain't got a clue. Like, mm. It's in there somewhere and like it just all builds up. And at the random, yeah. I find at the most random times, someone will say something and I'll go, oh, that reminds me of like this quote by an author. Mm. You know, and like, where's it come yeah. from? But it's in there somewhere. That's it's another thing with context. the reading as well, in that I don't, you don't have to completely absorb every single word. That's how I read. I don't read, I don't speed read, but I read quicker than other people just because I'm sort of skimming for useful words or ideas or phrases or quotes. And if someone's just telling me about a holiday they had in France, it's like, I will skip a paragraph because. Yeah, I don't care. So, like, I think people trying to read it like a book where they have to remember every single word. Um, and I think that's probably one one of the reasons I'm not great with fiction is that I sort of just skip bits so I get the interesting bit. Yeah, and in some fiction books, you you've lost half the part. You lost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's probably why I'm not great at fiction. Yeah, um, that is exactly the kind of rules that people make up. Like, you know, mm. the one one book at a time, start to finish. Can't skip anything. Like, got to read every word. Yeah, take it all in. Like you can, you can skip sections, you can skip paragraphs. If it's yeah. shit, stop, move on. Have more. A lot of books, like you said, are shit as well. books, so you can skip between them. 
Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and also there's a lot of, a lot of the time when I read a book, I think not got anything from that. And that's because it's not the right time for me to read that book. 18 months later, read that book, it's gold. Yeah. Like, um, Peter Thiel's like business book was one of those. Someone bought it me when I first wanted to be a, like work for myself. None of it made fucking sense, but read it now. I mean, done business a couple of years, like, that makes sense now. Um, I think a lot of books are like that, but yeah, I think um, you'll probably know Naval Ravikant and like heard some of his stuff and listened to some stuff. Yeah, you might not, to be fair. That's a book that I'll recommend oh. for you if you haven't. Um, but he's like a angel investor philosopher type bloke. And he oh, always okay. says there's, there's so many books that could be a tweet or could be a blog post. And people <laughs> have just made cash on them yeah. being books. A great example of that that I always think of, have you ever read the uh, Checklist Manifesto? Yes. Yeah, so we've had this conversation in DM, I think, and I have, have we? exactly the same thing. Yeah, we have actually, yeah, now I remember that. It's just like, checklists are great. That's how I'd... Yeah. <laughs> they, used them in, they used them in flights and they're great. They weren't used in hospitals and it was shit, and then they started using them and it was great. But the whole book is just like, this is why flights are great, this is why hospitals are shit. And then we tried this in left bollock surgery, and it was great there as well. So we thought, I wonder if this would be good for right knee surgery. And we tried it, and it was good. And you think, how the fuck have you got a book out of this? But that's the majority of books for me. It's just like, this is the story. We'll tell you what we're on about in the first paragraph. And then we're just going to give you anecdotes, which some of them are great, some of them are shite for the whole book. My, my brother was reading, um, he was like, he's can't hurt me. You know, oh, David Goggins. You can't make me read that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think much to it. And I was like, oh, I don't really fancy it. Um, and I looked up like a, um, I can't remember what app it was, but it was one of those, those like snaps, you know, like it's summarized yeah, in like five pages or whatever. Like Blinkist type thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought I'll read that. And if it, if it like grabs me and I get some good like, main points out of it, then I'll read the whole thing. And I, I you know, I read the, the blink or whatever it was and i was like what's the main point here it's like take control of your own life or something i can't even remember what the point was but i had like mm. one main point it was like pretty lame and i was like no, yeah. I, read it that <laughs> I read it and it was like it was it's a weird read actually because a client of mine was obsessed with it because she went she went through like a big big weight loss journey and has now done like incredible things with like in terms of physical performance um and it's just like his story is horrendous, like how he was treated by stepdad and things like that. Like he yeah. was seen and experienced things that you would never wish on someone. And then he sort of, it comes back around to this point of your body is capable of more than you think it is, which is true. And we know that from research, that's true. But you just think, yeah, that's all great. But like your circumstances literally built you to have that and all the good and bad that comes with it. Um, so trying to just say, well, everyone's like this. I just don't, you're missing a big part of what's actually made you you there. Um, Chris Williamson from Modern Wisdom always speaks about this. And like, if you want to be someone who say, I'd love to be them, you have to want to be all of them and have all of it. So like, I want to be Tiger Woods, but his, his dad bullied him and was like racist to him and stuff as a kid and was like forced him to do things. If you want to be him, you have got to be all of it. That athlete that you want to be, might have had an eating disorder or be abused by one of their coaches as a kid. If you want to be have the success, you've got to have all the stuff that took them there. And when you think about it like that, you probably don't want, you're probably quite happy with your lot. But yeah. Nice. Nice. On, on books, I'm currently reading mm. a book called The Second Mountain. 
I've not read that, don't you? Not read that one? No. It's really, it's really good, actually. But it reminded me of it when you were talking about like people don't like what they do, and that's a big issue. Mm. That's like a knock-on effect to lots of things. The second mountain, I'm, I'm only midway through it, but the um, the key thing is you like climb two mountains in your life, and the first mountain mm. you climb is like you trying to reach success and doing what you think you should do in a career or whatever it is that you're doing. And at some point, most people realize that there's another mountain to climb, which mm. is completely different to that, which is about transcendence of self and like doing stuff for the community and giving back and like finding your values and what you want to do in life, you know? Mm. So it kind of reminded me of that when you said, like, in a job Sorry? Like, there's a quote somewhere, it's like your, your life starts. I can't remember what the quote is. When you, like your second life, your real life starts when you something, something, something something about how there is that sort of transcendence of yeah your life actually starts when you realize what your life's about pretty much yeah that's yeah. quite interesting though and yeah. i guess my issue then is can you not have both at the same time yeah well I, a bit is talked about already and what i've read is mm. that some people skip the first mountain completely uh, and they go straight to the yeah. second um so yeah I think, I think there's a bit of both but yeah um yeah i'm trying to remember think of that quote that you it's like when you realize you know the one that, i mean yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's like your real life starts when you realize that you know yeah. this other stuff doesn't matter, yeah. you know, material stuff doesn't matter. Seems like that. Yeah, I can't think, I can't even think who said it. No, all right, we'll move on and we'll wrap up soon. So, last yeah. little bit end of the game, new game plus. You're going to start the game again. What? stuff he's taking with you and what you're going to change in this run through so i think i answered this one i think i'll stick with my answer when you've asked me this before i don't think i'd change anything that i've done i would just try and work out what i wanted and who i was earlier but having said that is that even possible if you don't go through all of it before you get to this point yeah but that sounded too deep but yeah i wish I wish I'd been myself earlier rather than trying to be other people first and then realise that being yourself had to make you happy anyway. Which sounds ridiculously wanky, but that is the honest truth of it. But like you you probably found this as well, particularly doing my job now. My first few years, probably first year or so of social media was fucking dreadful because you're just, just putting stuff out that you think A, people want you to be and B, people want you to post and they don't. They want you to be yourself and teach them that way. Um, yeah. I have loads of like, nutritionists coming out of degrees asking me about social media and stuff and i'm like just post what people want to know about in your style of teaching yeah. your voice what's like what is someone googling it's a really good question yeah. no one's googling like best sources of vitamin k because no one gives a fuck <laughs> and that's the honest truth the amount of infographics yeah. i see like this is how you can get more vitamin k even i don't remember that shit because i know where to look for it that baffles but that surprises people actually like a lot of nutrition nutritionists i know as well when you say what's a really good food source for obscure vitamin or mineral i can't remember off the top of my head because like, how often do i need that and yeah. why can i not go to all the books that i know that are good reference books to find that in two seconds i can still find it better than someone do i not off the top of my head no i know useful stuff that's going to help people and it's rarely how do i get more vitamin k um so back to the question uh i don't think i'd change much I don't mm, mm. I, like every thing that I've done to get to this point is 
was quite incoherent in the way that it was structured. Like, it's not the path I thought I would have followed. But now looking back at it, it all makes sense. So I started in sport. I, <clears throat> excuse me, worked with a strength athlete, so Chloe Brennan, um, who's like strongest at her weight in strong woman. She lifted the Dilly Stones not long ago. She was the oh, first yeah. woman to do that in America. So you That's might have seen that on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, she's brutal. Yeah. Um, so I worked with her when I first started out. I don't know. Um, and then worked with her friend, boyfriend, etc. Like, And that's how I got into strength sports was through her. And just, so I was just working in sport. And I was like, well, actually, I can work with strength sports easy enough. And then working with strength sports, a lot of it was women in their 30s, 40s and 50s who found strength sports um, as a means of trying to lose weight and exercising to lose weight, found that they loved the performance side of competing, but still had the whole hang-ups around food that women of that age do around diet culture and slimming world and all that bollocks. And then, so then I ended up being interested in relationship with food and performance. Mm-hmm. And now my work is relationship with food and sort of cognitive performance and how do the two align and they've sort of combined to go towards that values-based coaching type thing. So everything that I've done has led me to this point where I am professionally content. So actually I wouldn't I wouldn't change a single thing. Because there's all sorts of stuff that I learned that I didn't think was useful that's now useful. Hmm. So I'll keep the same game if that's all right. <laughs> I just keep playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I keep playing. Yeah. That is, uh, that's why this is a difficult question because that is the classic answer. Like oh, I won't change anything because yeah. it's it's all led me to who I am now. Yeah. But my answer is very similar to yours in that mm. you know, I've had a bit of like a revolution of of self I mean, that sounds even wanky than the stuff you just <laughs> out in the last few years where i've realized yeah. that you know i've not truly been myself for the mm. majority of my life so like would i want to go back and realize that earlier i think probably yeah mm. you know i think that probably would be on the whole yeah a better thing you're not yeah, going no. to the same place that's the thing that you kind of got mm. to accept yeah you know, like you know um do like people worry about going back in time and if you could you know time machine like changing the future like well, mm. you wouldn't know anyway so like why does no. it matter like if, if it's better then that's fine you know yeah what's what's next then for you thanks for me mm. so my day job is i'm in the rf mm-hmm. um i have put my notice in i'm leaving so end of the year I'll be out and I'll be coaching full time. So, like I nice. said, doing this coaching, strength and nutrition coaching, one to one online. So, That's just trying sense. to be like you, big man. I don't think you are, mate. And if you are, <laughs> I really do pity you. If that's truly <laughs> what you're saying, which I don't think it is, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, well, what, it's what interesting, you, isn't it? What you were saying about social media, like, I feel like I'm still trying to work that out. You know, I've gone back and forth mm. so much on social media. I'm like, oh, should I should I make like infographics? Should I, mm. should I make you know the car- the carousels with like loads of info and stuff? And then like, no, I'll just you know low effort stuff, posting mm. memes. Like I've I've been every which way, you know. Yeah, I, I I kind of like the focus of Instagram on reels at the minute. I know a lot of people are like, oh, mm. God, you've got to make reels or else you can't do anything. I'm like, well, at least it kind of makes the decision for you. You just make yeah, reels. That's true. You know, yeah. make under a minute videos providing some value. I can do that. Mm. Go on to, to 90 seconds recently, actually. Yeah, true. But the other part of that is like the shorter ones still do better. So like if you can do 15, 30 seconds, like that's still beneficial. I struggle mm. with that. 
struggle to cut I still like, <laughs> video full stop for me I don't like I, I'm a better writer than I am video I think or speaker I enjoy writing more yeah. um, not emails well I can write longer form stuff for more naturally to me than video your, your emails are great for anyone listening join Charlie's email list link in the description <laughs> Um, sure. but that's and when, we, when it comes back to being like authentic like again they used to be shit I tried to do something they wasn't whereas now it's just like if no one reads it but I amuse myself then I, that's accomplished mission accomplished for me and that's fine and I do amuse myself with them um, <laughs> so but that, that's why I do them I like the Instagram stuff is my more worky type work some people like follow my Instagram stuff and unsubscribe very early on the emails because they didn't like them and that's fine it's not fun, but I only cry a bit. Um, but yeah, no, social media is one of those things where, like, and I've paid money for like a lot of business health in terms of mm. all the some of the fitness coaches and stuff like that, and various people. And I've literally recently signed up for a different one. Um, and it's it's a minefield, isn't it? Working out what works for you that also works for people. Um, but when it comes it comes back to learning, like I've loved learning about the business side of it and how to run a business and actually promote a business and like copywriting, marketing, all that stuff. Because it's, it's psychology, and I find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, loads of, like, colleagues of mine are like, oh, how do you spend so much time on social media and why do you, like, I just can't do it. You can, you just put it at the bottom of your list. I love it and I find it really interesting. It's like a big experience for me. Because the narrower you get on nutrition, the less there is to learn. And that's not sound arrogant, but, like, there's only so much. Yeah. It's new at a time. Whereas that's just a whole new thing for me and it comes back to that curiosity of, I know fuck all about this. Where can I start? And I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a minefield, isn't it? I could definitely ask you more about the business side of things and and all that um, kind of stuff, but we'll do that offline, I think, because <laughs> um, I'm I'm interested in that. I'm not sure anybody yeah. uh, else. Well, I'm sure some people. No, fair enough. Yeah, well, we've already gone over an hour and a half, haven't we? We we'll have to do it again, yeah. mate. Charlie said before we started recording, oh, you're not going to get an hour and a half out of me. I'm not like, <laughs> get 20 minutes. And look at that. We've gone well over time. I was aiming for an hour. Um, but that was a fantastic conversation, Charlie. Really interesting stuff. I'm sure anyone listening is going to get some really good, I'd say nuggets, but it's, it's like a, it's more than that. Loads of good stuff in that conversation we just had. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me.